Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Super excited to press into the SOAP this morning. But first, would love, love, love to hear from all of you. It is days after Christmas. How was your Christmas? Drop it inside of the chat. I want to hear about it. It was good. It was bad. It was ugly. The family fought. The dog ate the ham. I want to hear all about it. (laughs) But I hope it was special. Uh, Everything from just spending time with family to celebrating the birth of Jesus. Uh, There's so many things that can happen at Christmas. But what I really love is just valuing the birth of our Savior. And I love how he gives birth to things inside of our lives. In the same way, we saw on this past Sunday how the Cumberland County location is getting a physical building birth into their life. Like, come on. Like, we are so excited for the Cumberland County location. Uh, but we love how Jesus gives birth to things inside of our lives just through the work and uh, just showing us even through the pattern of his birth into the world, how it can come so humble sometimes, yet it is a king wrapped in clothing. And can I get an amen from somebody? Because that king and that blessing is wrapped up in ways that we can never even acknowledge, recognize, comprehend, or anticipate. But very excited to press in with all of you this morning. We are going to be diving into one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, and this is Romans chapter 12. So Romans 12 is uh, a work of art on paper (laughs) from my perspective, and I think this chapter could be a real game changer for you, uh, especially as we press into the new year. Um, I myself, I usually read this chapter on like a weekly basis just to kind of refresh myself. Uh, But there's so much gold inside of it that I'm hoping we can even like scratch the surface together this morning. So uh, we're going to be reading Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Now, let's pray and let's press in. Father, thank you so much uh, that we get to connect over your word. Holy Spirit, I just pray you would come and meet us here this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray you would just speak to each and every individual that is hungry, hungry, hungry to hear from you. And God, I just pray, unpack the scriptures for us today. Give us a spirit of revelation and a spirit of wisdom, a revelation of who you are and a wisdom on how to apply it to our life. And we ask this praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. As always, if there is a verse that stands out, be sure to drop inside of the chat. And on top of that, if uh, God is saying anything to you, any questions, uh, you know, right, broad brushstroke, put it inside of the chat because we want to hear about it. We want to unpack it together. So check it out. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse one, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the appropriation of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhorting. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice at those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Ooh, what a jam-packed chapter. Uh, I like the different principles that are getting laid out inside this whole thing. Uh, there are probably a hundred things we could pick apart from this and a million things the Holy Spirit could say to us. So we're just going to go straight through it. We're going to unpack it. I'm going to try and do it in little bits today. Uh, I do have a lot to say about verse two, but let's go and uh, right through this thing. So verse one, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. So I think uh, it's important to recognize as we're going through this chapter together, and even in the way that we look at life, we all look at life in view of something or in light of something. So our viewpoints on life could be so very different. You know, I discovered over this past holiday that uh, there are a lot of different perspectives that sit around different tables. Can I get an amen from someone? Some of those perspectives are great. And some of those perspectives are not so great. And that could even pertain to food. One perspective could say, this dinner is incredible. Another perspective could say, this is horrible. Or let me even reword this. Your mother-in-law just came over to your house and she said, your cooking is horrible. Whereas your husband says, this cooking is amazing. Can I get an amen from someone? <laughs> right? So the perspectives and views on life can be so very different depending where you're at and how you look at things. I like what Paul brings to the table off the rip. He says, brothers and sisters, my family, friends, in view of the mercies of God, he says, the way I want you to view life, 
the way that you're going to view what I'm writing to you, the way I want you to view the way you interact with people is in view of God's mercy. So what does that mean? It means that we have this viewpoint that says I am forgiving naturally. I understand it's by grace that I have everything that I have. And because it's by grace, I don't actually deserve it and I haven't earned it. It's purely because God loves me and God has given it to me. So he says, in view of this mercy of God, this uh, no matter what your lens is, he says, I want you to look at people through this lens and through a way of life that's saying, hey, I didn't get here by myself. You didn't get here by yourself. No matter where you are, I'm going to show you mercy. And then likewise, on the other end, hey, you're supposed to show mercy back. And he says, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to do something because it's not enough to just have a perspective. We actually have to be the hands and feet of what the word of God is. Amen from somebody to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm glad that the Bible speaks in powerful, powerful metaphors and doesn't always speak, uh, let's say, to the literal nature because I'm not ready to die today. Come on. A living sacrifice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we want to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Think of this as true worship. So right here, Paul is communicating. He says, understand that God has shown you mercy because of this mercy. You actually don't belong to yourself because he's given you everything you have. Since he has, you are now to be a living sacrifice. What he's communicating is, uh, we are here to live for Christ now because every day we wake up, We live for something or someone. And one thing that's broken my heart over the course of ministry, over the course of life so far, is that a lot of people live for a nine to five. A lot of people live for the opinions of other people. A lot of people live uh, uh, just so they can get a checkbox or an accomplishment. But I want to tell you what Jesus wants us to do is just live simply for him. And he says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. Holy means set apart. So rather than being a part of the world, I want you to be set apart from me. And I want you to live a way that's pleasing to God. So what does that really mean? That means obedient to the word of God in relationship with God. And he follows up with that. He says, this is your true worship. So church, Paul is even uh, uh, really presenting something to us that worship isn't always the Sunday morning karaoke that we get to engage in. It's not always the songs that we sing, but in many ways, our true worship is actually the way in which we serve and live for Christ. So I want to challenge you just a little bit today. I want us to uh, kind of like, let's stretch together. How can we today live better for Christ than we did yesterday, right? And I want to give like a freeing statement as we press into this truth. So when you get to heaven, God is not going to look at you and say, did you live for like, or how do I put this? Uh, What works did you do for Jesus? How did you serve me? And he's not going to use that as a ticket of your entrance into eternal life. No, it is purely based on what you did with his son, Jesus, and having a relationship with him that gets us into eternal life. But he does say one on how we're going to spend eternity comes from how we serve, how we work on this side of eternity. So right here, Paul's putting out there, he says, hey, we're going to spend eternity in worship, right? And that's not all singing songs, that's serving God. We're going to spend eternity there. Uh, Let's get it right on this side before we get there.
right? We want to start unpacking, hey, how can I live for Jesus better today than I did yesterday? Hey, how can I live for Jesus better tomorrow the way that I did today? Because there's something I do uh, at the end of every day. I encourage you to give it a shot. Uh, I unpack my day inside of a journal. Hey, what attitude did I have today that I shouldn't have had? Come on, somebody, right? What mindsets went through my mind that I shouldn't have had that were there and I need to get rid of? Come on, somebody else, <laughs> right? Uh, what did I accidentally say to my spouse that I didn't mean to, right? What person did I walk past because I was in a rush, right? Come on, there were so many things that we could say, hey, I didn't leave, live for Jesus my best today, but tomorrow I'm going to do much better. And then once we get there, we follow through. Why? Because it's our true worship. Other translations say it's our reasonable service. So Paul is even writing that what God is asking of us is that it's not even unreasonable to live for Christ. Because in view of the mercies of God, in view of everything he's forgiven us of, it is not unreasonable to say, hey, we want you to present yourself as a sacrifice to Jesus every single day, waking up in the morning when your eyes open saying, God, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, I may not like it, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Verse two continues. And it's a great piggyback from verse one. It says, do not be conformed to this age or some of your translations more than likely say, do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This verse is incredible. Uh, do not be conformed to this age or this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transformed right there, for all of my Greek and Hebrew scholars that are watching right now, I have some fun nuggets for you. The word transformed and all these note takers, Transformed is actually the word uh, uh, metamorphosis. So this word in the Greek, when we go all the way back, was made from observing things changing state, right? And we use this word so often for a caterpillar changing into a butterfly, right? And I was discussing with someone recently, and we're just kind of unpacking life, the seasons of God. Uh, and it's just someone I deeply love, someone I admire. And uh, I was asking them, I said, hey, you know, what what is God doing in your life right now? And they mentioned, they said, you know, I really just feel like I'm in a season of waiting. Like God has me sitting and waiting. Do we have any other people like we are just in a season of waiting right now? Because I, I can relate. It's like what God has promised me has not yet happened. Right. What I'm looking to, uh, forward to has not yet come to pass, but I know it will. And they said, hey, I'm just in a season of waiting right now and I'm just holding on tight. And I said, oh, that's so awesome. And uh, he said, yeah, uh, you know, and I was starting to get discouraged. I'm walking around my backyard and I start crying out to God. And I found that I had this frustration inside that I didn't realize that I had. And he's like, and I didn't know how uh, upset I was with the Lord until I sat down in prayer in my backyard. And I thought, man, that's me sometimes, too. Like I'm, I feel okay on a daily basis. But until I actually sit down with God, I realize, OK, I'm a little bit upset right now. And he said, I sat down with the Lord and I started talking to him. I was like, God, I don't like the situation I'm in. I don't like waiting on you the way that I'm waiting on you. God, I need something to be different and I need to be different soon. And then suddenly, as he's walking through his backyard, there hanging off a bush was a cocoon. And he stared at the cocoon and the Lord so simply said, he said, in the same way that I have things happening in the darkness of this cocoon, that the caterpillar has no idea about. 
is the same way in the darkness of your life. I'm doing things that you don't even know about yet. And on the other end is a butterfly. This is metamorphosis church where things are happening inside of our lives through our situations, through our work, <laughs> through our workplace, through the boss that drives us crazy, through the coworkers that are incredible, right? There are so many different things that are happening to us inside of our lives that sometimes feel like a metamorphosis of what God is doing. This transformation is to make us into the image of Jesus. It's actually to bring about the butterfly. And what I really find incredible is that this word metamorphosis is being used right here in this passage, that don't be conformed to what you see around you. Don't be conformed to the person who's sitting in traffic and is angry, 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 angry because they're going to be three minutes late to work. Come on, that's me sometimes. But do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the changing of the way you think. You know, I like what Paul puts here. He's not talking about super radical steps. He's not talking about throwing away all the junk food in your house for your New Year's resolution, right, to lose weight. I want to tell you something. I made a New Year's resolution last year to lose 20 pounds. And I want to tell you guys, I only have 30 more to go. Bless God. So, <laughs> so uh, and I think I might have good company. I love you guys. So, right. He's not telling us to do these super, super radical steps. What's he telling us to do? He's saying, change the way you think. And for my note takers here, uh, I have probably about 50 different sermons on this verse alone. Um, your life will go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. You see, Paul is indicating to the church, hey, I want you to start changing the way you think, because if you start changing the way you think, then your life will follow your thought life. Because if you can change one singular thought about yourself, about God, and about others, then you will watch as your life will be a domino effect following these change in thought patterns. So I'll give you an example. At the beginning of every year, uh, I sit down and I say, what thought am I going to adopt this year? Because I want to have one habit, one strong habit that's built around the truth of Jesus, and it always has to do with my thoughts. So, for example, this year, I want to get more organized. So I'm choosing to believe, God, you are giving me a grace. And in view of the mercy that you've given me, you're giving me a grace to be more organized, right? I'm going to put things where they belong. If I'm putting things in a place that doesn't have a system, then one needs to be made, right? But we transform our lives around a thought. And your life, like I said, will always go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And I have some examples for us today because the enemy really, really wants to do everything he can to get us to believe in a lie. And I might just scratch you a little bit today. It's just because I love you. Uh, because if the enemy gets us to believe in a lie, we'll live for a lie. But if God gets us to embrace the truth, we will live life, right? So today I want us to challenge ourselves. Are we going to live for a lie or live for truth or uh, uh, live life? You see, because many times we think that catastrophe is going to strike our life and that's going to be the most devastating thing to happen. But very rarely does the enemy really even work in catastrophe. He more often works in corrosion and he gets us to believe a lie. And this is the corrosive lie that attacks our life from the inside out. You see, a lie for one of us might be today that life has always been this way. Therefore, it's always going to be this way. And we can think of that all the way back to the playground when we were in elementary school, up until the water cooler conversations that happened just yesterday. Can you believe that they're days after Christmas and they're already gossiping while getting a small cup of water, right? 
Or maybe for some of us, what good is there inside of my life? Why always me, right? Uh, I want to just encourage you some of the truth today. It may have always felt this way and you think it may always be this way, but God is a God of change and his mercies are new every single morning. You may feel like, hey, what good is there inside of my life? Why always me? Why always me? Woe is me. But I want to tell you, God has a plan and his plan for me is good and is specific for me. I like to think God wrote down his plan for my life. He spelled my name right at the top of it, and he's got my name on it. And he wants me to fulfill the purpose that he has, and the purpose is always good. You see, each and every one of us somewhere inside of our life have an ungodly belief or a lie we have embraced through life. And I like how God confronts it inside of this passage because he says, I want your life to be transformed. But if your life is going to be transformed, it's going to be by your mind getting renewed. It's going to be by the the way you think changing around the truth of God's word. And we have to identify lies because guess what? You can't defeat what you can't define. So when we identify the lie, when we define the lie of the enemy that he has sown into our life, then and only then can we battle it with the truth of God's word. And that's what I really enjoy about the scriptures. Because you see, you can pan through here, especially a chapter like this. And when you're looking at verses 9 through 21, 9 through 21 has everything to do with our conduct, right? 1 to 2, this is talking about how, like, okay, live for Jesus. 3 to 8 talks about the gifts, faith, and grace that God has given us. Then 9 through 21 is saying, hey, step your game up, (laughs) right? Love better. I look at that as the umpapa of scripture right there. (laughs) It says, love one another without hypocrisy. I love it. But when I start looking at these verses and I start realizing that the truth of God's word is provoking something inside of me, what it's provoking is the lies of the enemy over the course of a lifetime. And I start thinking, huh, why is it that when someone says something negative about me, I don't want to do what verse uh, 19 tells me, where it says, don't avenge yourselves, instead leave room for God's wrath, because it's written, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Uh, do I have anyone else watching today or tuning in today or just like, engaging together that would rather just take vengeance into your own hands? Because if they're talking about me behind my back, it's time for me to step up and handle it, right? Vengeance belongs to the Lord, but I'm his arms and feet. Come on, somebody, <laughs> right? Uh, but here's the thing. That is over a lifetime of discipleship from the world. And what God wants us to do is not conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed by what? the renewing of your mind, the changing the way we think. So rather than looking for vindication, vindication actually isn't ours. What we're supposed to do is leave room for God to take care of the situation. So something bad happens to me. What does the world teach me to do? Handle it, right? Someone says something about me. What do I do? I say something back. Or there's a third party. Did you know that so-and-so said this about you? Really? Did you know that they are this, this, and this? Come, I know I'm not alone here, right? Because we believe that vengeance belongs to us very often. And then we have to defend ourselves and vindicate ourselves. But the Lord says otherwise. Friends, don't avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Another way of saying that, leave room for God to handle it. But if you're going to take it into your own hands, don't be surprised when you mess it up. Because the Lord wants to step in and handle business. But all of this, all of this comes from a lifetime of discipleship. It comes from a lifetime of undoing lies. A verse like that confronts me 
because I start realizing that I embraced a lie over my lifetime and the truth of God's word says, hey, you don't always have to be the one to handle it. Just leave room for God to step in and do what he does. So all of us here, you see all of us here deal with different lies from the enemy. Maybe a lie for you might be like me. I always deal with imposter syndrome on a regular basis. That's like me and imposter syndrome are best buddies when it comes to the lie world, right? This imposter syndrome would be that you're not good enough and you never will be, right? You're not good enough to be sitting in the rooms that you're sitting in. You're not intelligent enough for what you're doing. And it's only a matter of time before people find out. And this lie might be a lie for you too. But I want to tell you something. The truth of God's word will undo every single lie that the enemy tries to sow inside of our lives. And when the truth starts to be revealed inside of our life, we watch as our lives and mindsets are transformed around that truth. You see, while imposter syndrome has been a lie I've always dealt with, I want to say the truth that I fight it with is Peter and John and how they were regular, ordinary men. And when they say what's the highlight of their life, that they had been with Jesus. They were uneducated, regular guys, but they were special because they've been with Jesus. And I thought if that's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And somebody said, amen. <laughs> you see, we all deal with these lies. We all wrestle with the lies of the enemy, but it's time to get off of the defense and get into the offense inside of our thought lives. You see, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And we want to start going on the offense with our thought life. And I want to just challenge you today to think about what you think about. If we are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, start thinking about what thoughts are going through your head. If something rubs you the wrong way and ticks you off just a little bit, you should write down a situation and even ask yourself, why does this make me so angry? You see, I'm a big thought assessment guy. I keep my journal on this beautiful device right here that tells that tells me the time, tells me who's calling and what time I need to wake up. And anytime I have a thought that I start thinking, that's a little bit strange. I wonder why I have that. My journal is on this phone. I write it all down. You see, because we want to have action steps and hands and feet to the scriptures. And if we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we have to start taking a thought assessment of our life and saying, okay, God, I'm a little more cynical than I want to be. I'm a little more negative than I want to be. I operate a little more under absolute thinking that I really should, right? I'm a little black and white and I don't see too much gray. But if we're going to be transformed, we have to think about what we think about. The passage goes on, three through eight, dives into about the grace of God being given to us. And what the Lord is communicating to us inside of this uh, small passage here is that he wants us to not live as though we gave our gifts to ourselves, but God gave gifts to us. This passage on its own should kill any measure of comparison inside of us. Because while I shared my lie was imposter syndrome, I recognize that some of us may deal with comparison, right? Look at what they have going for them. Look at the car that they are driving, the house that they're living in, right? A lot of different things. That person is such a great speaker. That person, when they pray on the altar, special, right? What the Lord is saying here is while we love and honor the gifts that God has given, uh, it's not all of our gifts, right? I know that there are some people inside of the church that are sensational when it comes to exhorting and encouraging. I'm not always the most encouraging person in the room, and that's okay. 
but my role may be a gift of faith, and it's my role to use my gift of faith. There are some people I encounter on our Sunday morning prayer teams, more Sunday morning prayer teams, when we're there and they have the gift of prophecy and they are prophesying in accordance with the portion of faith given to them. And I'm encountering God on that altar team. And then when I step up to pray, sometimes I'm praying the principles of Jesus over someone. And I'm thinking, dang, I wish I could be the prophecy person two people down. But here's the thing. What God is saying is, hey, use your gift by the measure of faith that I've given to you. Don't worry about what they're doing. Just come in partnership so every gift is on display. The passage continues 9 all the way through 21 has everything to do with the conduct in which someone uses when they have a renewed mind and when they're living as a sacrifice to Jesus or in service to him. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdo one another in showing honor. I want to close on just one thought this morning, and it has to do with verse 10. Let one another, uh, no, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, I never uh, hide the fact at how competitive uh, I am or my wife is. Uh, we are a competitive couple. We love games. We don't play games, but we love games. Uh, we don't play games because we value our marriage. Uh, and the Bible inside of this same passage we're reading says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And um, we like peace in our house. <laughs> so we discovered that Uno was not the way for us to connect, <laughs> right? Because I there's a temptation about it. When there's four plus fours in your hand, you're going to get the business and it is what it is. <laughs> so, uh, right, we love competitive spirit inside of our youth programs and everything. We love the spirit of competition. We usually build everything around competition just to try and like get us all engaged. Well, sometimes competition can be good. Sometimes maybe not. Right. So uh, the competition side of what we're doing. Right. We want to uh, engage every sense of ourselves and get a fire and passion going right here. The Bible actually gives us room for competition. If you have a competitive spirit, this verse is for you. Love one another deeply, not a surface level love. Don't let it just be, a, oh, so nice to see you and like everything's done. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Basically what it's saying, as family. And then outdo one another in showing honor. You see, in, in competition, this competition right here, you're actually supposed to compete to outdo one another in showing honor, right? right? Honor would be the fruit or an action of love. So the Bible's telling us, hey, competitive people, hey, everyone with competitive spirit, you can step up and start loving like crazy, right? You can step up and the people in the body that desperately need your help, desperately need your prayers, desperately need you to come alongside them, link arm in arm with them. Hey, outdo one another in how you're doing it. This is the only place where I could really find competition being okay. I can compete with someone on how to love and serve other people. That's incredible. Now, of course, the prizes are inside of heaven, and that competition isn't really meant to be selfish. The competition is meant to bless other people. But this is what I love, love, love about love in the Bible. It is always about others. The love side is usually rarely about myself, while it does contain a piece about myself. It has to do with the Lord, others, and myself in a distant third. And what I like is in this passage, in this verse right here, it says, hey, all my competitive folk, go ahead and challenge one another. 
I want you to start stepping the game up in how you love other people. And I want you to do that by showing honor to one another. So this is powerful. This passage right here, I encourage you to go back, read through it, fine tooth comb, because there's so many things that the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. But just a quick recap, viewing life in the mercy of God, living our lives based on a transformed mind, right? We want to have a life that represents true worship to Jesus. We have different gifts, use our different gifts. And then all of the ethics that we have to live as Christ followers, basically the ways or boundaries to be blessed from verses 9 through 21 to see, okay, this is the way and heart motives that God wants me to live through. And I encourage you, strongly, strongly encourage you, church, as you're going into 2024, as you're getting ready for a new year, As we are preparing to make our resolution follow for the next two weeks, uh, I know I'm not alone in that. <laughs> uh, when we make our gym membership and Planet Fitness gets us, come on, somebody. Uh, I want to encourage you take a thought assessment of your life. Think about what you think about. Start writing it down. Do that background work and that hard work. Because I know that I know that I know our life always goes in the direction of our strongest thoughts and start taking inventory of your thought life what strong thought that you have that is predominant that maybe you didn't even realize that you had and god wants to step in and change the way you think through the truth of his word and that truth will set you free and that truth will guide your life so i encourage you identify the lies of the enemy because we all have some but what's even more powerful than a lie from a stupid enemy is a truth from a great god that wants to change us by changing the way we think. Amen. All right, Father, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That you want true, genuine life change inside of us. That God, you're doing a deep work on the inside of our heart. That Holy Spirit, you are producing fruit that we don't even see yet. That we are like caterpillars on the inside of cocoons and you're doing something in the dark that we're not even aware of yet. So Holy Spirit, I just want to pray that for all of us, that you would help us change the way we think. God, make us self-aware of our own thoughts. And Lord, give us the truth of your word, this specific verse, this specific word of God, that would be the truth to change the lie that the enemy has tried to sow into us. So God, I thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. Lord, I just pray, give us a grace to be a living sacrifice unto you. That is our form of true worship. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a phenomenal Thursday.